are united by the gospel. It's good uh, to be together. My name is Andrew. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here. If you are new with us, a special welcome to you. We know it's hard to walk into uh, a new place, a new church, and so we are uh, grateful that you are here with us this morning. If you need anything at all throughout the day, find somebody with a, ba- a badge and a lanyard. They'd be happy to answer your questions. We've also got a table just outside here with little uh, gift bags on it. Grab one of those on your way out. It is a way for us to say thank you for being here uh, this morning. And we are glad that everybody is here this morning. Go ahead and uh, find the clipboards at the end of your rows. Uh, fill those out. Pass them down. It is, these are a great way for us to care for you, um, to know what's going on in your life. To that end, there are prayer cards behind the sign-in sheets. So if you've got really anything that you'd like us to, to join with you in praying for, um, whether that's a request or something that's heavy on your heart or something to celebrate, fill that out. You can hand it to me. Um, you can also, uh, as always, place it in the offering box on the back table. And if you've come prepared to worship uh, through giving with something physical to drop off, uh, you can put it in that box on the back table. Uh, just a couple things I want to highlight uh, from the, the monthly update. And this is fun, right? It's the closest thing we're ever going to get to stained glass here at Trail Ridge. Um, this is, this is kind of here for Easter. Uh, just a couple things I want, want to highlight. Actually, um, to that end, our, it's hard to believe Easter is really right around the corner. So our Good Friday service uh, will be here on Friday the 14th, 7 to 8 p.m. Um, that's always a really reflective service. I will be quiet. It really will um, allow us all to, to kind of center ourselves for the weekend um, on Jesus' death. And then Easter Sunday, just a couple days later, on the 16th, uh, regular service time. So 9 and 10.30, uh, bring your friends. We have mailer postcards that went out to our 10,000 closest neighbors right around here at Trail Ridge. So we do hope uh, to, have, to have some visitors. And so we'll make, we'll make space, uh, be ready to, to, to warmly welcome those folks. And a couple other things, Newcomer Coffee, if you consider yourself new to Christ Community, uh, April 2nd, that's in a couple Sundays, right? That's next Sunday. That is next Sunday, right? Wow, April. Uh, so Newcomer Coffee next Sunday, that's during the second service, uh, 10.30 a.m. in the room just across the way, 111. And then membership dinner. If you're interested in membership, more information, uh, or you're ready to kind of take the next step of membership here, that is April 30th. Uh, that's a month away, so just want to get that on your calendar, five to seven. Um, if you're interested in that, talk to talk to me. We'll get you more details. And then finally, um, I wanted to let you know uh, some some tough news for our church family um, this morning. And I, I say that uh, use that language intentionally. This we are a, a family, um, and sometimes uh, families have to have uh, there's tough news, hard conversations, but. Uh, for those of you who are newer, uh, bear with us as we do. This is kind of a family moment for us. But um, Tim is the other pastor here, the campus pastor. He and Missy have three boys, uh, Isaiah, who is five, uh, and then Micah and Abel. But the oldest, Isaiah, he has been experiencing some uh, developmental, physical developmental delays um, for some time that Tim and Missy have been uh, working through with doctors seeking um, a diagnosis, some answers, and they finally got that this last week, and it's been a really tough week for them. They found out on Monday that Isaiah has muscular dystrophy, uh, and um, it's been a really hard, that's been a real uh, punch in the gut for them um, this last week. And they really wanted to be here this morning to share, um, to be with their family, 
during this time, uh, but they're, they're still processing, they're grieving, um, just trying to get their feet under them. He told me that they are more united than ever as a family and uh, that they've never been in so much pain as a family together. Um, so they cover your, covet your prayers uh, so much right now. They, um, please pray for them as we've talked some this week. It's clear that two passages of scripture have been very near to them. Uh, Isaiah 40, 28 through 32 and 2 Corinthians uh, 4. Um, in particular, the truth of the resurrection of Jesus, the fact that he was dead and now he's not. And uh, the hope of joining him one day in, in his resurrection with new bodies, um, that has been their strength in, in moments in these days of weakness and uh, pain and brokenness. And so I'm going to have both those passages kind of on this, just the references on the screen uh, as we pray together um, in a few moments, write them down, uh, use, use uh, these promises as your prayer for the Spambergs uh, and for the countless other things that are happening in the life of this church. Um, this is, there are lots of hard stories right now of pain and suffering and brokenness. Um, and there are no words, right? I experienced that this week in praying with them. I didn't know what to say. I didn't have it in me, uh, and that's why we need this book. God has actually given us words to plead with him, uh, promises to hang on to, uh, things to pray when we have nothing else to say, so that's what we're going to do uh, now. We're going to use God's own words to address him this morning in prayer. In all the brokenness and the weakness and suffering of this world, and in the hope uh, and the strength and even the joy of what we know is true for those who are in Jesus. Um, so would you join me in prayer? Our Father in heaven, your name is holy. That's what it means when you taught us to pray, hallowed be your name. Even the mention of your name should cause us to worship. It's why we're here today as a church. It's why we gather every week to worship you, to encourage each other. And we need it this morning, God. We're so heartbroken for Tim and Misty and Isaiah and Micah and Abel and their families. Comfort them, be near to them, be their strength and their joy uh, when they have none of their own. Your word says you are the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. There is nothing that is in existence that you did not speak into being and you, don't, you do not faint, you don't grow weary, you do not get tired, you do not become weak like we do. You have power that has no limits. And you say you give it to the faint. <laughs> to the one who has no might, you increase strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. Those in their prime cannot face the struggles of this life in their own strength. But those who wait for you, shall you shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run, shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Father, teach us to anchor our hope in that truth. 
that you are the source of our strength at all times, but especially in time of great pain. That the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work within us. That's true. And will one day raise us with him. That our broken and frail bodies that betray us will be made new in his presence. So we do not lose heart. We do not despair. We are not without hope. For though our bodies are wasting away, our spirits are being renewed day by day, even now, even today. For our our momentary, temporary, physical afflictions are preparing for us an eternal weight of glory that is beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, not to what we can feel and touch and and what breaks, and what hurts, but to the things that are unseen, to hope, and to your power, and your love for us as a good father. For the things that are seen, those are passing away, but God, the things that are unseen are eternal. Train our eyes to be fixed on those things, on Jesus this morning, as we walk through this broken world uh, in the hope of the gospel. And I pray now as we step back into this, into your word, into Jesus' final weeks, in many ways joining him in the garden as he prays, uh, open our hearts and minds to your word. Uh, Where I say my own things, I pray they just fall away and be forgotten. But where I speak after you, by the power of your spirit, uh, I pray teach us. We ask this in the name of your son. Amen. I know that it's going to take some time to process, um, but we're going to open God's word because we know that's where uh, we find truth. And we're going to continue in in Matthew's uh, gospel, joining with Jesus in this final week. And again, last week, where were we with Jesus? In the Garden of Gethsemane, where he was pouring out his soul in prayer in honest and dependent and urgent and relentless prayer with his father, right? That's why we pray the way that we do, um, because Jesus is our model in all things. And remember all that was swirling around those moments. The certainty of an awful death, the sorrow of facing God's wrath, right? Jesus is, says, take this cup. Let it pass from me. The agony of knowing that he would face it all alone. He knew that. He predicted that would happen. And not just alone, but abandoned, (laughs) betrayed, denied, condemned. Jesus knows what it's like to cry out to God in pain and sorrow. We saw that last week. And like I said last week, I'm always quick to read myself. I mean, we we always read ourselves into these stories. Um, I'm quick to read myself in as like the advantageous character, right? Um, and here, probably as the verse 35 version of Peter is where I would place myself. Right? I'd never do anything to hurt you, Jesus, as he's hearing from Jesus that he's going to, he's going to deny him three times. Jesus, no, I'm your man. You can count on me. I am your best friend. I, I too, like 
Peter, I want to believe I have what it takes, that I'm loyal, that I'll be brave when the chips are down, right? But then we keep reading. We keep reading uh, this story. All of Jesus' closest friends, we're told, either condemn or abandon or betray or outright deny him. I don't even know them. They all fail him. And they don't just, they don't just kind of fail him. These are, these are massive failings by the disciples. One betrays, betrays him, right, sells him off for nothing. Another denies him. The other ten run scared. They abandon him. All in his hour of greatest need. This, this story is starting to get, uh, starting to, it's pretty dark. Uh, th- these are Jesus' darkest moments. And it's passages like this, though, that actually give me solid reason to believe this is a true story. Nobody would make this up, not if they were trying to start a movement, not if they were trying to get people to follow this Jesus, right? They would not fabricate their own terrible failure, and yet here we have it. It's exactly what we see in this scene of the story. Failure, denial, betrayal. What Matthew wants us to see um, this morning from this text and what he has shown me this week is that everyone, and, I, and everyone in this passage, in this room, you, me, everyone needs a savior, a hero, a rescuer. Because there's only one hero in the story, and it's not you, and it's not me. There can only be one hero in your story. It can't be us, not even Peter. We saw in the passage last week, not only Peter was part of, he was part of the 12, right? He was, he was in the inner circle of the inner circle. He was part of Jesus' three most trusted friends. He had seen Jesus at the height of his glory. He was with him at the depth of his pain as he prepared to face the cross. And even Peter, who will one day lead the church, even Peter needs a savior, a hero, a rescuer. So there's one thing that this passage makes clear is that even, even those who have seemingly have their lives together, who are desperately trying to be good enough, who intend well even, need a savior. Even the best people in this story need rescuing. And that's the, that's the message of Christianity, right? It's not that God helps those who help themselves or just do your best and God will make up whatever you weren't able to do. No, the message of Christianity is that every one of us needs a rescuer, full stop. So we're going to walk through the story this morning, and I'm just going to make a couple observations at the end. Um, it's a shorter sermon this morning, if you can understand that. But we're going to pick it up right where we left off last week. Jesus approaching the end of his death, or the moment of his death. Two weeks ago, They celebrated a meal together, Jesus and the disciples, right? He predicted that every one of them would fall away from him. And last week we saw saw Jesus and his closest friends go up to the hills, and as they are walking, he says, you're all going to fall away. And they can't fathom it. They can't believe it. They can't fathom it relationally, right? Jesus is their teacher, their leader, their best friend, but they can't fathom it culturally. It was unimaginable. Right? In their cultural context, betrayal was desperately awful. And it is for us. We understand betrayal is a bad thing. Right? But we're very individualistic <laughs> as, a, as a culture. Uh, and in fact, 
when, get, when, when given the choice between looking out for number one and looking out for the group, in our, in our cultural context, you can make a pretty strong case for looking out for your own interests, right? There's an assumption that if there's a conflict, uh, you, you can, it can be understood that you need to look out for your own. But in that day, betraying the group, the collective, your people, that was unimaginable. So disciples do the only thing they can do, right? When Jesus predicts that they're going to fall away, they say they're not going to. You know, because what else could they say? Yeah, Jesus, you're probably right. When push comes to shove, I'll probably just look out for me. Couldn't say that to him. But in fact, they said more. They said, we'll die with you, Jesus. Peter is the most vocal of any of them. And I have no doubt that they all, they all meant it, right? Their intentions were probably good. Judas, notwithstanding. They really believed themselves to be loyal, loving friends. And then the mob came. They came with torches and swords and clubs and violence and force. And they seized Jesus. And Judas kisses him, greets him with a kiss, and betrays him. And then there's a struggle, right? They finally get Jesus, even though they didn't have to struggle. Jesus points that out. I've been sitting in the courts teaching. You should have gotten me then. They struggle, there's a fight, and Peter in his zeal, he reaches for his sword and not knowing, you know, not knowing to do, just takes a hack, lops off an ear, he assaults a member of the, the high priest's entourage, not unlike the moment when Jesus came walking on the water in the middle of the sea and Jesus and Peter just steps out of the boat. He begins well, he makes a show of faith, of courage. Uh, Maybe even more than a show, a genuine expression of courageous faith. But then he takes his eyes off of Jesus and forgets who he's looking at. The one who could calm the sea. The one who is in complete control in the garden. Peter leaps to defend Jesus in faith as if Jesus needed it, right? It's like defending a tank with a squirt gun. Peter starts well, but then fear takes over. And along with every one of the other disciples, he leaves Jesus. They all flee. They all do the unimaginable, the culturally unforgivable. But it gets worse. Hiding in the shadows, Peter, he follows. He follows along with the crowd that's hauling Jesus off. He stands in the courtyard of the house, Caiaphas, where the This kangaroo court, this unjust trial has commenced. And they're not looking for clarity. They're not looking for real hard evidence to convict a bad man. No, they're they're looking for false evidence, impartiality. The court wants blood. And it wants just enough of a semblance of cover so they can do the one thing they've they've been wanting to do for a long time now, which is to execute Jesus. And Peter, he, wa- he stands by and he watches it all unfold. Watches Jesus stand silently before the high priest. Till Matthew chapter 26, verse 63. I'm going to read that now for us. Jesus remained silent and the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the, by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. This is what you've been saying. Right? That you are the promised one, that you are the king has been written about in the Old Testament, in the, in the prophets of old. Tell us, are you this Christ? 
Jesus said to him, you have said so. But I tell you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power, coming on the clouds of heaven. Jesus answers his question and then ratchets it up a notch. The high priest tore his robe and said, blasphemy, what further do we need? What, What further witnesses? You have now heard this blasphemy. What is your judgment? And they all say he deserves death. They spit in his face and struck him. Some slapped him, saying, prophesy to us, you Christ. Who is it that struck you? The sentence comes down, crucify him or kill him. And Peter watches it all. They start to punch him, spit on him. And then someone sees Peter. Watch as this scene unfolds. And then Peter runs out and he weeps bitterly. If anyone in the story would have been voted most likely to be the hero, it probably would have been Peter. But it's clear, it's all too clear, both for us and for him, there is only one hero in this story. It's not you, it's not me, it's not Peter. And here's why, you're going to fail. 
You're going to fail your friends. You're going to fail yourself, even the standards that you set for yourself. And you're going to fail Jesus. And the fact of the matter is good intentions, just aren't, they aren't good enough. Not when it comes to following Jesus. Because the problem, it wasn't with Peter's or the other disciples. It wasn't with their intentions. We have every reason to think that they meant what they said. And they made these bold declarations that they would never leave him, that they would die with him. But they truly intended to do the right thing, to follow him all the way to the cross. But listen, me intending to get Beth a birthday present or take her out for a nice meal for our anniversary and actually doing those things, we quickly realize there's a difference, right? When her birthday rolls around and I say to her, well, I intended you, I, I, I meant to get you a present, but I just, you know, work, work got busy, the date kind of snuck up on me. I assure you she will not say, oh, that's okay. I really appreciate your intentions. If you're boss, right, I, I meant to get that deadline met, or a friend, look, I, I really meant to keep that secret, but it just slipped out. You understand, right? No. Good intentions aren't good enough, right? Not when it comes to following Jesus. This, the contrast in what the disciples say and what happens in these scenes has been jarring for me. Now, it's true, without making an intention, nothing ever gets done. So you do have to intend to follow Jesus. And uh, a dear friend of Christ's community, the late Dallas Willard, he, he talks about this a lot, about what it takes to actually know and follow Jesus. And he points out this. We have to have the vision, right, the sort of the picture of what it means to follow Jesus. And we have to form the intention, which is what we're saying is not good enough on its own. And we have to adopt the means, he, has this, he always says, vision, intention, means. We talk about it a lot as a church, right? We need a clear and compelling picture of why it's worth that. The beating and, and the, the mocking, it's worth all of that to follow Jesus, right? The good life is worth that. Because Jesus, remember in Matthew, Matthew's made it pretty clear. That's, what, that's what's ahead for those who follow Jesus. The good life comes from death, right? Victory through suffering. There's all, remember, this gospel flips our world upside down. And you have, to, you have to have a picture of the good life and say it's worth it. It's worth following Jesus for what he's done and who he is. And that's, that's what so much of our Sunday morning worship services are about, right? It's why we sing together. It's why we open God's word. It's why we take the bread and dip it in the cup. It's why we read scripture. It's helping us gain a picture of what it means to follow Jesus and to make those intentions. We walk out of here, hopefully, more encouraged to follow Jesus than we walked in. But without the means to do so, we're going to end up just like Peter. The means of the spiritual disciplines, the practices that Christians have engaged in for centuries that put us in the way of God's grace to make us more like Jesus, to so that we become the kinds of people who don't deny him when the chips are down. Things like prayer, like reading the Bible regularly, like serving sacrificially, all the things we're focusing on in the Lent devotional, these different weeks of the disciplines, right? They are the Monday through Saturday, Saturday means of implementing vision and intentions. 
We often say around here that it's not about trying harder, but training better. (laughs) And we do that through the spiritual disciplines. Are you training for moments like this in your walk with Jesus? Because if we're not, friends, if if I'm not, we're not going to be able to follow him. Are you training for these moments, or are you just planning to try hard when the time comes? Second, we see uh, in this story that cowardice and failure go together. Cowardice and failure go together. Where are you and I most likely to deny Jesus? What situations or circumstances will most incline us to say, I do not know the man? Probably those moments of deep fear. Right? That's true for here, here for Peter. Now look, if you consider yourself a Christian like Peter, you probably can't imagine or at least don't want to imagine a moment when you would deny Jesus, when you would say, I've, I don't even know what you're talking about. I don't know this man. But we all have the capacity to do that. And our fears are a good guide for us there. What are you afraid of? What are some of your deepest fears? Is it losing your reputation or not having what it takes? Losing your comfort, losing your life? It's in the midst of those fears that we are most likely to deny Jesus. But simply being afraid isn't sinful, necessarily. It's it's what we do with those fears. Do we see them and name them? And then move forward in the courage with the power of the Spirit? Or do we forget and shrink back in cowardice? This is where courage is so important. C.S. Lewis, he put it this way. This is my second week in in a row of quoting the Screwtape Letters because it's such a marvelous book. Uh, But he says this about courage. It's not simply one of the virtues, but the form of every virtue at the testing point. I love that. It's the form of every virtue at the testing point, which means at the point of highest reality. A love or honesty or mercy which which yields to danger will be chaste or, or honest or merciful only on conditions. Pilate was merciful till it became risky. For remember, the act of cowardice is all that matters. The emotion of fear is in itself no sin. Experiencing fear is not a sin. It's what we do with that fear. And when I look at my own life, most of my sin, especially in relationships with others, is in one way or another rooted in cowardice, fueled by fear. Have you recognized what you are most deeply afraid of? What are the fears that tempt you to fall away from Jesus? And then finally, and this is the great hope, um, the failure never has to be the end of the story. It's why Jesus came, even for the very best of people, even the very best cannot escape failure. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus came for failures. He came for failures like me. Like us, people who would deny him, people who would betray him, choosing their own self-preservation or comfort or reputation or path of least resistance instead of clinging to the one who loves them and gave himself for them. That's why he came. He came for you. And he longs to forgive you no matter what you've done. Maybe you're not a Christian and you think your life is too messed up to be part of a squeaky clean community. Well, The good news is, this is not a squeaky clean community. Starting on this very stage. It's 
full of hypocritical sinners in desperate need of rescue who are trying to grow in faithfulness to Jesus. So you'll fit right in here. Second, Jesus didn't come for people who are well. He came for people who are sick. Maybe you are a Christian and you've messed up bad. You feel like you've failed Jesus and you're wondering, did I, did I blow it to the point where there's no more hope? There are lots of ways to respond to that question. Judas, who betrayed Jesus, he hangs himself in despair. He doesn't turn back to Jesus, but runs farther away. Caiaphas, he's the high priest, never even sees his denial for what it is. You saw him scoot away there in the scene. I've done my work. He slaps Jesus in the face. He spits on him. He executes him. But Peter, Peter weeps. He weeps bitterly. But he doesn't cave to despair. He doesn't, he doesn't end it like Judas. He doesn't harden, harden himself like Caiaphas. He weeps. He grieves. He laments. The final words that Peter will speak in Jesus' presence before he dies are, I do not know the man. And yet the first recorded conversation that we have between Peter and Jesus after Jesus is raised is Jesus restoring and forgiving Peter. And Peter will go on to lead the church, right? He will, he will be crucified according to tradition, hung upside down on a Roman cross for his unwavering, unflinching devotion to Jesus. That's the end of Peter's story. His cowardice, it disappears. His good intentions have been empowered by the Holy Spirit and the means of grace and failure is not the end of his story. And it doesn't have to be the end of ours. Jesus turns betrayal and abandonment and despair, he turns it into the salvation of the world. He was denied so that you never have to be. Think about that. Rebel in that. That is the reason we get together to worship, right? That is the good news. Jesus was denied that so, you never, so that you never have to be. To the point of God the Father turning his face away from Jesus on the cross. So that failure never has to be the end. There's only one hero in this story, and he is glorious. continue to worship him as we pray. Father, thank you that our failure isn't the end of things, that you were denied so that we could be rescued by you. Thank you that you are, you truly are in the business of taking our failure and using it for good. That even as we fail, Jesus, you're up to something redemptive. That is incredible to believe, God. Thank you for being in control of all things. And we ask now for the courage needed to walk with Jesus, for the strength to be faithful to him when the chips are down. We are so grateful for your grace. May our failures never lead us to despair, but drive us to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, every week we respond to God's word uh, by partaking in communion together. It's the meal for failures. Uh, that's what it's for. Uh, no one can come to the table and think anything else. 
Jesus is the only hero, and in the paradox of our faith, he achieved glory and honor by going to a cross through pain and suffering and humiliation. Um, and that's what we celebrate. When we take the bread, it signifies his body broken, and we dip it into the cup, his blood poured out for us. We remember that Jesus was denied so that we never have to be. Um, anyone who follows Jesus is welcome at this table. Um, it's a f- another one of these family moments, but not just not just our church family, but, but if you are part of God's family, if you follow this Christ, you are welcome to the table. And the way we do it here, we have two stations. We, have, we gather in groups of four to six, take the bread, dip it in the cup, and then eat it in the instruction of your leader. When you're ready, please come to the table.